Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 168. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 168 you're listening to. My guest today is the one, the only Mr. James Ivey. You know him, of course, from ProToolsExpert.com. That's right. James is the technical editor over there. We met recently at the NAM show, and we got to hang out with a group of people, including uh, former WCA alum Cesar Mejia, Steve Genowak, Andy Freeman, and our friend Louis Gonzalez, of course, who works with uh, Cesar. And uh, yeah, we got to hang out at what we deemed the quietest bar at NAM. If there is such a thing, I know it's it's actually kind of hard to find because the Hilton Hotel over near the NAM show is just absolutely insane. So we got to hang out at this kind of low key, a little, not dumpy, but not exactly, you know, kind of top notch bar. And those are my favorite places, the places that aren't too fancy, that aren't too loud. And this was perfect. So, yeah. So James Ivey is coming up. James, of course, has quite a background, drummer, producer, engineer, uh, he used to work over at Sibelius, which was part of Avid. Looking forward to chatting with him. Yeah, James Ivey coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, just a reminder to head on over to gearsluts.com and check out the Audio Life subform that we sponsor. And while you're at it and you're on the internet, head on over to our friends over at Universal Audio. That's at uaudio.com. Make sure and check out the videos from Vance Powell and Jakir King, both former WCA alums. And, uh, of course, make sure that if there's any uh, promotions going on that you take advantage of those, especially the one where you get a free satellite when you buy an Apollo interface. Yeah, that's over at uaudio.com. Well, I'm happy to announce that I finally got my my production website back up. That's from mattboudreau.com. And it was down for months. I was hosting over at Squarespace. They're kind of pricey. Really? I mean, they have a good thing, but it's just, you know, if you don't want to spend 20 bucks a month on your website hosting, then maybe it's not for you. And in my case, you know, I just needed a simple website to convey what I do, mixing and mastering and recording and audio cleanup. And I didn't need to spend $20 a month. So long ago, if you search back through podcasts, through Working Class Audio podcasts, I actually kind of debate how I'm going to do that. I can't even remember the particular conversation, but long story short, basically I've hosted everything with Bluehost. They're quite economical. So I'm hosting Working Class Audio and mapudro.com with them. And that's that's just working out for me a lot better financially. And I had former WCA alum Chris Salem do the website for me, and uh, he did such a great job. So if you get a chance, stop on over to mattboudreau.com and see what you think. We did a, a, a simple one-page kind of design that scrolls to the different sections so you don't have to like dig through lots of pages and read tons of text. We just we made it simple. We made a, you'll see check it out see what you think and uh yeah you know if you're in need of a website and he's got the time um i would suggest reaching out to chris because he's uh he does a really good job and he's got a real good eye yeah new website woo well uh, recently i came across this article that i thought was kind of interesting it was uh at fast company and i'll include the article in the show notes at workingclassaudio.com and it basically was saying that the cd business isn't dying it's just evolving and 
which is really interesting because all of the articles other than this one that I come across just talk about how, in fact, I saw one, it said the CD, CD sales are in the hospice stage, which, you know, sounds quite dire. And of course, Best Buy is stopping CD sales. Uh, I believe Target is pulling uh, CDs. But uh, this article in Fast Company kind of talks about a different perspective, and that is, of course, the um, perspective of the touring band and how it's looking like people are actually buying uh, discs at shows. Uh, and, of course, the uh, the cost of printing CDs uh, has changed quite a bit. And this article talks about, you know, eco-packs where you just don't have all the big bulky plastic stuff and uh, you don't have all the shrink wrap. You've got a resealable container. It's an interesting perspective uh, in light of all of the other articles that talk about the downfall of the CD and, of course, the rise of uh, streaming services. So uh, I'll include that link in the show notes, uh, of course, uh, from Fast Company. So be sure and check that out. Give me a feel free to send me back your uh, your opinions on it and your experience. Be curious to hear that. You can always uh, email me, matt at workingclassaudio.com. All right, here's a little bit of a rant for you, a little bit of a communication rant. And this is really directed at those of you who might be feeling somewhat isolated and you live out, say, in the suburbs, um, maybe in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you're in the middle of nowhere in Europe or the United States or the Middle East or Southeast Asia. Anyways, if you live in the middle of nowhere, if you use that term to describe where you live, then you know what I'm talking about. Many of you who listen to the show live in big cities. You live in New York or you live in uh, London or Los Angeles or cities where there's active uh, music and recording happening, such as Nashville. So if you don't and you're feeling like a lot of the things that we're discussing um, are out of reach for you because your world is somewhat smaller, I totally feel for you. I came from a small town uh, where at the time I grew up, there was only two high schools and you know a few elementary schools and a couple, couple junior highs, or I guess what they call middle school now. So I hear where you're coming from. So here's my ass kicker for you. If you're sitting on your butt and all of your online activity is one-sided except for social media this is where i'm going to kick you in the butt maybe you're thinking well you know i i, I spend a lot of time on facebook or uh, twitter and do a lot of my learning through pure mix or a mix with the masters that's all fine but if you really want to have a more um, direct exchange of ideas and networking open up to you Look into the whole world of FaceTime or Skype or Zoom. We Zoom.us uh, here on the show to do our interviews with people across the world. And it's a really reliable platform. I'll, I'll say that. I won't give you a sales pitch on it, but that's what I use. But whatever you use, it uh, doesn't really matter. Uh, Google Hangouts uh, can be used, of course. But one of the things that I do, and I've mentioned this on the show in the past, is every Friday morning I get up at 545 where... I'll make a cup of coffee and I will come into my studio and for about an hour, I will have a, uh, what we call a mastermind call. You know, I'm usually on the call. Bjorgvin Benedictson from Audio Issues is there. Chris Salem from Mixed Down Online. Uh, Lid Shaw, of course, from Recording Studio Rockstars. Former WCA alum Chris Graham is there. Uh, there's a bunch of us. And some of us, don't. we can't always all make it, but usually there's about four to five people. Former WCA alum Ian Shepard is on the call from England. And it's really great because it's all these people from around the world. Well, primarily, you know, Europe and the United States and Canada. 
North America and Europe. And uh, we just, we have a great time. We talk about what we're working on. We talk about uh, what's gone well in the week, what's gone bad in the week. And a lot of the times when we put our ideas out there, uh, the other guys, you know, will challenge you. They'll, they'll raise questions. They'll poke holes in your theories. It's, it's a really great thing. So I'm going to make a suggestion that if you are feeling a little isolated in the suburbs, or if you're feeling a little isolated in the big cities, try to form a mastermind call with a group of friends from around the world, ideally. But, you know, maybe you live in uh, New Mexico and you live in Albuquerque and, you know, you know, an engineer in Las Cruces or, you know, an engineer in Roswell try to reach out to those engineers and they don't always all have to be engineers but it's all an attempt to just trade ideas and get somebody to that you can trust to bounce your ideas off of now it takes a while to be you know to get acquainted with some people so maybe you want to start small maybe you want to start with one or two people and slowly work people into the call that you trust you know, one of the things that we just is in inherent in our mastermind call is that we don't uh, share that information uh, to anybody else. What we talk about in the call, it's it's all it's a private call. It's kind of a I guess you could say we all kind of have a non a non written NDA with each other, non disclosure agreement. We just we talk about what we want to talk about and and uh, in, in business and such, and it's really great. It's a it's a great great tool. And so every Friday. You know, although it's a pain in the ass to get up at 545, I look forward to my chats, my communication with these guys from, you know, all different parts of the world. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe it's three or four people that you've known forever. Maybe it's two to three strangers you don't know all that well. But think about it. It'll expand your world a bit. And especially if you're feeling isolated and you're in the suburbs and you want to, you know, have a little more communication, it really works out. And then when you get to a trade show that you have in common, say the NAM show, then everybody can come together and you get to meet everybody in person, which is always an interesting twist to the whole thing. So that's my rant for the day. So, uh, Think about it. Yeah. Get in touch with people. Do some type of mastermind call or just even if it's one-on-one or, or, or a group of people, make it happen. All right. That's it. That's all I have to tell you today. So uh, let's get to it. Let's have a chat with James Ivey here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Well, James, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here or virtually here. Virtually here. Yes. Let's jump right into it. You started playing drums at a very early age, about age four, if I'm correct. My father's very musical, plays pretty much everything except drums. So the natural thing that he wasn't going to teach me, it seemed sensible. But yeah, I've, I've had a real kit since I was sort of six, seven. Before that, it was ice cream tubs and playing on other people's kits. And yeah, and my neighbors still hate me, probably. <laughs> I've seen some videos of you playing. I've never heard you in person, but just watching the videos that I've seen, being a drummer myself, I was, you know, was, I was impressed. I was like, oh, James is a solid player. Wow. Thank you. It was my musical thing first. I mean, drums has been my passion since. I oh, were a wee small lad. I love it. I still play. I still get to play a lot. It's what I'm doing is different now, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But um, no, I love it. I'm a drummer first and foremost. How do you feel about how the role of drums is not first and foremost now necessarily in what you do day to day? I'm very lucky. I still get to do a lot of drumming. I still get to play a lot of drums with a lot of different people and a lot of music. It's not primarily my day job anymore. And that was a very conscious decision quite recently. Do I miss 
getting in at four in the morning and having to get up and stuff like that. And from gigs where I've played for 25 minutes, but I've sat around for six hours. No, not even in it. I don't even begin to miss it. Do I miss the 45 minutes up on stage or the hour up on stage? Yeah, of course I do. I've done a couple of gigs recently, but I haven't quite got the urge to find a band and get back on the road or I think I'm past that. Kind of went through the same thing myself. I, I gave it one last shot by just, uh, out of necessity, really, I was, I had lost a, a, a gig came to an end, an audio gig, and I had to make up that money, that loss of money. So I started doing a live band karaoke situation for a couple of years, but it really burnt me out. And I finally just said, I think I'm done for a while, not forever, but I'm done for the near future. And audio definitely takes uh, a, a front row seat for me, but I know not everybody uh, comes to that same conclusion. I made a very conscious decision and I, I, I made a very large financial decision to leave the band I was in because I got to the stage where I wasn't doing it for the money. I wasn't doing it for the joy of playing and I wasn't enjoying the music. And if you're not doing it for that reason, what's the point? And I mean, I've had a, probably in my playing career since being a, a kid, if you're not enjoying it anymore, don't do it. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not it's not fun. Don't do it. That brings me to audio and what role audio plays in your life. What I'd like to know is is at what point did audio show itself as a possibility of something you could be doing professionally? I think I first got into sort of audio and recording and stuff when I was about twelve. We had a four track at school, a Tascam Porter O one, tape based four track. The first question was what so why can't I take this tape out of here and put it in my cassette deck at home? Oh, it doesn't work like that. Well, why? And anyone who knows me knows that why is something that comes out of, out of my mouth way too often, probably. I think I was always of two minds, say, as a student. Am I going to be a graphic designer, artist, a, a, always fairly creative? Or am I going to do this music thing? And I think by the time I got to about 15, 16, I realised there was no fight in it. Music was going to be what I did. And I think I wanted at least have some kind of technical training in something. I could already play. Um, I didn't want to go and do a straight music degree. So music and high tech and studios and toys and stuff was what I studied. When did I realise it could be a job? <laughs> this is going to sound incredibly um, brave or perhaps foolhardy, but I, I probably don't even think of it as a job now. I think of it as something that I'm very fortunate to have a hobby that I love and has become my career. I know that sounds incredibly idyllic, but... I, I don't go to work. I go to play. <laughs> I, I have that same sense of uh, idealism, I think. But I do, and I ha and I do feel guilty when my wife comes home after a hard day at the corporate gig, and you know I've been working on audio all day, but I, I'm not worn out in the same way. I have lost days to projects. Where did today go? I was mixing that track, and it, you know, I got into it and. Uh, or I was I was recording for somebody and all of a sudden that's an eight hour day gone and we've got something to show for it at the end of it. I mean, I've never been one of these people who could just go to a meeting and call that work. I need to have produced something every day, be that a track, be that I've learned something. I consider that achieving something, learning a new skill, learning a piece of equipment or whatever. That's achieving something. But I think I'm a creative. There's no two ways about it, really. I need to achieve something be able to show what I've done mm -hmm. on a sort of almost a daily basis. Creatives tend to suffer from the inability to 
balance the creative and the the financial or the business so as to you know blend those two worlds successfully how do you manage to do that badly <laughs> if i'm totally honest I, i've got better at it i guess it just comes down to necessity uh, i know how much money i make i know how much money i need to spend to stay alive and support the family and keep my house and the studio and stuff and then there's what's left over and what's left over tends to a little bit goes for taxes and sensible stuff and the rest gets poured back into the studio which is a terrible thing to admit out loud and yes i do suffer from gas incredibly badly um, gear, gear acquisition syndrome that's the one yeah i've i've desperately tried to curb this but i find things i like and i'll sell something on normally i'm very lucky i normally I'll, I'll i'll fund the acquisition of something with the sale of something else or a couple of other things because there's only so many 500 series slots that I've got to fill and only so many reverbs that I need and, you know, all that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, who am I kidding? I could buy rack loads of gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found it comical yesterday when I was, uh, we, ch we chatted uh, because I was on your podcast and you said, yeah, I bought these two 14 space racks and with the goal of yeah, saying you know, I would only fill those. <laughs> and if I needed to get something else, I'd have to sell something in, in one of those racks. And we both cackled at the failure. There is nothing more sad. There is nothing more sad than a one new rack space empty. <laughs> hey, on my team, I'm, I'm known as the gear monkey. That's what's why I'm, I, so I do all the hardware stuff for Prodols Expert. I'm, I'm a complete gear whore. I, I, I don't mind admitting it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I absolutely adore toys and learning new stuff. And, we get asked all the time, is this what's better than this? What's better than that? And it's so difficult these days because everything sounds so good. It's only what you like, what the way you, the way something operates, the way it sounds or the specs or the numbers, everything's so good these days. A lot of people have some very, very strong opinions about gear and very, I'll say, cork sniffing level. What are your thoughts on that? With, with regard to vintage gear or modern gear? Either. Okay, I have a very simple theory on vintage gear. I can't afford it because I can't afford it to go wrong and be down. I've got friends who've got vintage mics, vintage pre's, and they spend nearly as much time in the repair shop as they do actually out on sessions. I've got no hang-ups when someone says, oh, I've got a matched pair of 1967U, you know, pick, pick your German or Austrian microphone. Well, the, tr the truth of the matter is, no, you haven't. Because a matched pair of those mics, the tolerances for the components were 10% either way. I think modern gear has way more to offer by virtue of the fact that it's not overly inflated ridiculously in price. And generally, if it goes wrong, it's fairly easy to get a replacement, an identical replacement, very quickly and or get it repaired very, very quickly and inexpensively. Do I think that there is some bad gear out there? Of course there is. But that stuff's normally under 100 bucks, and and you, you, know, you genuinely do, at certain levels, get what you pay for. But I think over a certain price threshold, probably three, 400 quid, dollars, call it what you will, all the gear out there is more than capable of, of allowing you, if you have the skill and the ears to do it, to make a hit record or a um, post-production project that's going to stand up against anything else. Now, you don't actually run a commercial studio per se, do you? No. I have my project studio, which most people would go, 
that's some project studio. You know, I've got a console and I've got outboard and I've got a lot of toys and mics and stuff. I work with artists from all over the world. I, I do have bands in from time to time to do stuff, but it's all at my invitation, at my request. It isn't a commercial facility. It's not somewhere you can book. Jokingly, I've always said, you know, this is my fee. Now, if you think that you're booking the studio, you get me free. And if you think you're booking me, you get the studio free. It's my place. I don't have any other engineers or staff that work with me who I trust not to break the place. If you were to start today from scratch, knowing what you know now, let's say that, God forbid, there was an enormous fire that burnt you out. That was me touching wood, by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> How, what would you do to start over? Oh, um... Well, having said vintage gear, yada, 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 I do have a couple of specific pieces that I would be absolutely mortified if I lost. I've got a couple of snare drums that, that go back way, way into, into the past. As long as I had a reasonably fast machine, be that PC or Mac, I'm running PC in the studio now, but my, my laptop's a Mac, I could probably be up and running with a handful of mics and some decent instruments quicker than anything else. The thing I would fear to lose more than anything is my knowledge, which, you know, will, ha will happen eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> but that, that, would be, that would be the loss, I think. But ultimately, would you go and, I mean, you've got a console, you've got a lot of outboard gear, you've got a lot of mics. How different w would your approach be? I mean, would you try to go and replicate all that again or would you just start over with a different approach? No, I, I, would, I would go, the system I've got now is actually a fairly recent acquisition. The desk I've only had for 18 months or so. I would probably want to go out and re reproduce what I've got because I've over 20 something years of acquisition and, and finding out what I really like, the gear that stayed is the stuff that I've really liked. Yes, some things have been uh, improved on over the years, but I've got pieces down here that are, some of them are six, seven, eight years old, which I know sounds ridiculous, but in modern the modern days of audio gear that's you know i was chatting with a guy only yesterday after, after we talked and he said i'm thinking of getting rid of my x converters because you know they're 10 years old well the truth of the matter is the 10 year old hd converters don't sound as good as modern ones they just don't and lots of things have yeah. changed yeah technologies change we're getting better in that department i think the longest standing thing i've actually got in the room now is probably my Focal monitors, uh, my twin 6Bs. And everyone says, have you still got those? I said, yes, because I know them really well. They were my first proper studio monitors. What is more common, going through gear, constantly selling, buying new, selling, buying new, or, or holding on to pieces? If I find a weakness in a piece, that's its reason to go. Or if I find something that I want to do that that thing doesn't do, that's its reason to go. Um, I've got gear down here that dates back, you know, my 11 rack, for example. That's got to be pushing seven, eight years old now, I would have thought. Yeah, it's got to be that getting on for that old. The guitar parts that I record with it still sound great. No one says, oh, that doesn't sound like a guitar because it does someone might say that doesn't sound like the model that it's supposed to be doesn't matter they don't know that but the only person who knows that is the person who's doing the review and says i've got a soldano and here's the soldano model and they sound nothing like each other if the guitar part sounds right for the track it's right so you yourself you tend to hold on to pieces say if i find something doesn't do what i want it to do say my big change recently was going from uh, an interface where i could plug in 
microphones directly into the interface to needing something that gave me lots of line inputs for the console. <laughs> so yeah, I had to have a rejig of what, what I wanted and reevaluate what I needed and went out and yes, as you said, I'm very lucky. I can make a few phone calls and try some stuff. Uh, my golden rule, if you like, is if I don't use something for a year, I don't need it, which is my eBay rule. Because if I don't use it in a year, I don't need it. And that money could go towards something that, I, that I've that i seen, that I've tried, that I really like. And say the Pro Tools Expert gig does get does allow me to try a lot of stuff. Well, let's talk about the, your space. Now, you live in London. Yep. And you have a building behind your house in the backyard yes. where you have your studio. Um, I'm not familiar with any of the ordinances or rules or codes for building in, in the UK. Did you have to go through any hoops to make that happen? It's, it's called planning permission is basically the, the, the UK kind of restrictions. The borough of London I live in has a restriction that says you need planning permission for anything that is within two metres of the boundary of your property. Well, the edge of my studio is within about six inches of the edge of the boundary. So I went through planning permission. I said, I'm going to build a single story wooden outbuilding, home office. In fact, no, I, I think I called it a wooden garden shed. And they said, no, the technical term is single story outbuilding. I then sent a load of pictures of what was here, which looked horrible, and a nice artist's impression of the of the outer building that was going to go there. And funnily enough, it got approved. Now, what I do inside here makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. From a legal counsel standpoint, it's my property. I can do what I like. If I was annoying my neighbours with drums at three in the morning or whatever, that's a very different story. But from a building and a, and a legality point of view, there's no real, I can do what I like purpose wise it was quite funny in, in the building because i actually built the whole thing myself from digging the hole to filling it full of concrete to putting up the walls to the only thing i didn't do actually in here was the internal plastering but everything else was done by my own fair hands and one of my neighbors said what are you doing with all that material because obviously there's a lot of rock wool and sound absorption material and things like that and I said, in the nicest possible way, if you never find out, please don't think me rude, but if you never find out what I do, then all this time and effort is well spent. <laughs> of course, they know what I do because they see instruments coming in and out, but no one has ever, ever made a comment about the noise. Because quite frankly, you get six or eight feet from the building, I could be playing drums, you know, 50 to the dozen, and you really can't hear it. The numbers were done. But it turned out way better than I expected. Did you hire somebody to come up with the plans? Nope. Uh, I will be totally honest. It was drawn out very roughly. Not quite on the back of a cigarette packet or anything like that, but it was drawn out by me. A lot of research went into, you know, mass and angles and what what is enough diffusion, what is enough absorption, what is putting stuff in the right places, um, points of reflection, things like that. Then there was the practical stuff. You know, I, I need to be able to get a drum kit in there. I need to be able to store stuff. I need to have, be able to... At the time, I didn't have any plans for putting a console in here. Most most of it was purely practical. And then the acoustic bit came in to make it fit, if you know what I mean. So mm. the design was done, then the acoustics came and uh, nudged, nudged things a little bit. And actually, I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with the sound I've got. Um, yes, I've lost a lot of wall space to... Uh, rock wall and, and absorption and mass, but it works. It's nice that you can have 
once again, back to our drum discussion, have a set of drums set up and ready to go. Let's not pretend that I can play at three in the morning and I, would, I wouldn't get complaints because I would. Because three in the morning is really, really quiet. Yeah. But I do have a fairly mains or dual carriageway, probably, I don't know, a couple of hundred metres away. Now, that's far enough for me not to hear it in here now. But if I go out in the garden, I know during the day, during rush hour, there is that kind of background traffic hum, which masks a lot of music noise. And it kind of blends into the environment and nobody could nail you down as the noise coming from your place. Yeah. There's another guy who who owns, I'll say owns a kit of drums rather than plays them. That's incredibly rude, I know. But um, who lives kind of the other direction, two houses across, and everyone can hear him. So I have absolutely no fear about having drums and guitars and loud things in here at any point anytime. Tell me about your involvement with Pro Tools Expert and how you got into that world. Um, funnily enough, um, it comes down to, I used to work for Avid. Oh, Pre-Avid, I worked for Sibelius. Sibelius, the notation software, were then bought by Avid. And then just before we moved into this, our current house, I was made redundant, uh, as so many of my Avid brethren have been and were. And we went, Uek. Well, we're still going to move house because that was all done and dusted. And I managed to pick up, strangely enough, some freelance work back with Avid. It was through doing that that I first met Russ Hughes. And um, we were doing a trade show in the UK um, and we got chatting and, you know, both very similar people, both creatives, both writers and, and you know, and after strangely being a guest on the podcast that I now host on a kind of bi-weekly, whatever it is, basis, I joined the team back in January 2012 um, as the hardware guy. Yeah, it went from being, you know, do a couple of articles, do, do, do some gear testing, to when the, the freelance job with Avid dried up. It was like, okay, this I need to make this work and make this pay. And six years later, I'm still doing it. And the team's going from strength to strength, and we're, you know, numbers, numbers are good, and... Project expert and production expert, I, I think, are doing really well. And there's how many of you? Seven of us at the moment. We're sort of looking. We have a couple of names in the in the hat of people who we're looking to be working with. Mostly based in the UK. We've got one guy in Baltimore. Our um, uh, community manager is based out in the states. But yeah, I mean, we've got say six guys in the Project Expert team. A couple on Logic Pro. One guy in Canada on Studio One Expert. Um, so we're spread sort of. UK and North America. How do you balance your other activities, musical, audio, otherwise, against the needs and the time requirements of Pro Tools Expert? Week to week, month to month, I know the number of articles or the number of um, pieces that I need to do. As long as I get those done, I, I don't work for Pro Tools Expert. We, we, we're all kind of freelancers for them. Russ and Mike are the, the two guys who work for the company but um, or work for the site. And the rest of us effectively freelance in. So my time is my own as long as we get the work done. No one really tells us what to write, what the content is, what the reviews are. We just get creative, which is nice. And the rest of the time is my own. Now I'm doing a lot of video stuff. I'm doing a lot of recording and mixing and that sort of stuff for, for bands and working with bands and artists. So it, it can be challenging sometimes to make it all fit, but it seems to be. I, I have a fairly good system in place to make sure I 
hit my quote unquote targets and everyone's happy hopefully how do you structure your days is it is it just every day is different obviously every day is different as of may this year i made a very conscious decision that i wasn't going to be working into the wee small hours i start at eight i finish at four then i do the dad thing and if i need to come out after about 7.30, I come out for a couple of hours and that that is me done. I'm no more work until 3, 4 in the morning. Uh-uh. Because A, I know I'm useless at that time in the morning. I'm fried. Right. My my brain ceases working about 11 o'clock normally on anything technical. What's the point in forcing it? I'd rather get up earlier and start a bit earlier the following day afresh. So, so yeah, I've, I've, I've managed to actually f- keep the structure. I now don't work weekends. Unless it's a trade show or some kind, something that cannot be moved, I do not work weekends. Do you find that difficult? Do you like just the because I try to do that, but at the same time, I'm I'm the studio beckons me. I'm I'm always drawn to it. Like, oh, let me just start a little bit of a mix, just a little bit. <laughs> this is the thing about not having the studio in the house. I think if it was in the house, it's so much more a draw. You know, you're one door away. Um, the fact that. My commute to work is now is now 15 seconds, 15 stepping stones down the garden across the deck. And I'm in. If it's raining, it's quicker, of course. But um, there is that separation between the studio and family life. And as someone who hasn't had, who hadn't ever had weekends with my wife, because she'd always known me as playing in bands, it's really weird to have weekends and go, oh, there's a family thing on. Should we go? Yes, because we can. You know, so-and-so's invited us around for dinner. Oh, we can go because I'm not rushing off to a gig at three in the afternoon to play someone's wedding. It's lovely. Do you think that 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 drastically changes the dynamic in the household? Well, me me being at home, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, mean, if if your wife is used to it after a number of years of, oh, yeah, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work. And then all of a sudden you make a conscious decision not to, you know, I can only imagine it's, it's a positive. Well, there were two very conscious decisions. One is my son and the other one is my daughter. But, you know, that they were the, the big reason for this, this change and, and slowly going insane. If I play Brown Eyed Girl or, uh, you know, name the, the, the batch of cover songs we used to do on a on a nightly basis, if I ever play those songs again, I'll, I'll probably scream <laughs> or worse, you know, or sing them. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it took me some getting used to, you know, the first couple of months of, of getting to Saturday at like three o'clock and going, right, what am I, oh, I haven't got to go out. You know, we can, we can have the rest of the afternoon with the kids. We can do stuff as a family at weekends. I have weekends again. Uh-huh. It's been so long since I've had weekends. And what about the phone ringing? I mean, interrupting the, that switch family it, time. Switch it off. Uh-huh. I switch it off. I, I My phone sits on silent. I don't have voicemail. My theory being, if somebody wants me, they know how to get me. They'll, they'll email me. They'll text me. Um, and it sounds rude and it sounds brash, but don't don't expect an answer out of office hours now because my family is the single most important thing in my life. Well, that's an interesting concept. Basically, you could leave, have your outgoing message say, don't leave a message here because I won't check it. If you need to get in touch with me, email me or text me. I, I turned it off. I, I turned off voicemail. It was, it was funny. I, I turned it off for Nam two years ago because to check our voicemail from the UK back to, at the time was horrendously expensive. So I turned it off and then forgot to turn it back on 
And I thought, hang on a sec, this is really working because people are actually getting me and phoning me or texting me so I can get back to them as and when. No one has ever said, you didn't get back to me within five minutes. How dare you? You didn't take my call at nine o'clock at night. Sorry, I've got a life now. And that sounds inc- that sounds incredibly... I-, I think if I was starting now, I-, I don't think I could have that mentality. But I'm not. I'm fairly... I'm happy in my workload. I'm happy with my clients. I'm, I'm very happy with my life as it is right now. Mm-hmm. If, if you want me, then phone me during office hours or during, you know, normal time normal time it is different where where i'm working with clients from the states i know that and a lot of my studio work is actually done with clients on the west coast of the states because they can finish their day dropbox me a session by the time they get up the next day drums bass guitar or whatever they want is sat in their, their inbox which works it works incredibly well. Yeah, that time difference can play in your in your favor. Um, that works really, really well. So yes, of course, I answer those emails. But if someone is asking for a quote for a job, that can wait till tomorrow. James Ivy here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Hey, I'm going to include a link today in the show notes. So if you go over to workingclassaudio.com, I'm going to have a link to the Audio Technica blog. There is a post there about the new AT5047. And it's comments and thoughts on the 5047 from uh, former WCA alum Al Schmidt, Ross Hogarth, and Nico Bolas. And uh, that will be there for you to check out. You can uh, learn all about the mic and see what they think about it. That's from our friends over at Audio Technica. That'll be in today's show notes, yeah. So let's get back to it here with James Ivey here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Well, talk to me about when you are working. Uh, Let's talk about specifically networking. Because Pro Tools Expert is one aspect of your life, but there obviously are other aspects. So tell me about your networking habits. I go to lots of trade shows and events. I love them. I love I love going to NAM because, as I said, I'm a gear junkie, but I'm also a people junkie. Thanks to Steve Genowick that I said to him, um, you know Matt Boudreaux, don't you? He said, yeah, I'll introduce you. Cool. And that's that's the way I like getting out and meeting people. I'd say the the the, the hat wearing thing is very it's very grey, I think is a, is a safe way of putting it. If if I realise that someone's talking to me about Pro Tools expert stuff, then it's very much a Pro Tools expert conversation. If someone is talking about drumming and me playing on their album, well, that's not a Pro Tools expert conversation. That's a James Ivy drummer conversation. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to book the studio, likewise, it, it's a it's a me conversation. We've all got that very good... I think we've got a fairly good delineation between the team. Russ and Mike know that we all do stuff out away from Pro Tools Expert because that's what makes us good Pro Tools Expert type people because we have all those other experiences. Again, as long as we keep producing content and and brands and stuff like that we work with are happy, then all's good. Um, I love the fact that I can learn a piece of gear and do a review and then use that piece of gear on an album project. Hmm. And, and and see if it works. It might work in a three minute review song, but will it work on every every track on an album? Will a new microphone technique for recording acoustic guitar work on an album track? Will it work for real? Um, and I think that's what makes what we do as Pro Tools Expert really credible because we don't just sit there. You know, we're not professional reviewers. We're professional audio people who also do reviews. What came first for you, video or audio skills? Audio by a million miles because I'm still. We're all still learning, but I'm learning fast video. 
Yeah, video. It's just, it's really been an ass kicker for me for working class audio. I start to do it and then I'm like, oh, this is painful. It was quite funny you say that. I looked back at some of my old videos and I'm like, oh my God, you sound so bored. The light's all terrible. The cat, it's all grainy. And of, and of course, that does come to back, back to the fact that it was six years ago. And I think I was probably shooting in SD and in four, uh, five by four. And, you know, we were shooting at seven. It, it, then we went up to 720 and it all started to look a bit better. And, you know, again, technology and gear moves on. So you keep up. We haven't yet. I don't think we've yet started to shoot a 4K. At some point, we probably will, because when most YouTube content becomes 4K, you kind of have to. You follow the follow the curve. Yeah. Um, but yeah, video video is definitely something I'm learning and still learning a pace. You know, just just what lens to use when, what what aperture setting to use, where to put that light, how to color grade, color grading. Oh, this does not go there. Scariness. Yeah. <laughs> God, your uh, face says it all. <laughs> my head is really hurting. I'm I'm still trying to understand it all. It, it it makes audio just audio is such a cakewalk. And if and if you really want to then go the next hurdle of of learning madness, Adobe After Effects for um, graphics and rendering and stuff like that. That's a whole nother level of pain that I started to learn. I went no 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 you know know your limitations, James. Just Learn the video thing. Get the video thing as as good as you can. Do the audio thing. That's that's my, that's the thing I concentrate on. Audio. What do you do to keep your mind from getting bored or going insane? What are, you know? What are the things that keep you balanced? I'd love to say I go to the gym three times a week and I run and all that sort of stuff. I really don't. I'm terrible. I used to go to the gym, then got busy and stopped. I used to cycle. And then got busy and stopped. Um, it sounds ridiculous. My thing is my kids. Yeah. Well. They're, they're, they've been such a huge, they were such a huge thing happening in my life that they're my escapism. They're my reality check. Wednesdays is generally my my daddy day, my primary carer day. Um, and that, that keeps me real. I... You know, I'm absolutely adoring being a dad. That's my, my reality check. Yes, I probably should run, or actually I shouldn't run because I've got a knackered leg, but I probably should do something vaguely healthy. My wife keeps going on about yoga, but I'm not sure that's for me. Drumming actually is fairly cardiovascular. I was going to so, say drumming's cardio work. Yeah, so I, I do plenty of that. Um, I was doing a, a oh, in fact, I've got an entire album of stuff for a, a fairly sort of clever technical prog band to prog metal band to do so that's going to keep me fit i know that for sure i've tried a couple of the tracks already i'm like wow i'm gonna to have to really get some sort of knuckled down practice in for this stuff where did you learn audio who did you have a mentor it started a school i guess i was very lucky that the school i went to or the, or the, the sixth form so between sort of 17 and 18 i went to uh was quite well equipped you know we had a fostex r8 and we had a um a soundcraft spirit studio console so we had a few bits and pieces and, and a sort of a spluttering of done out mics and things like that and a and a yamaha reverb um so i guess i, I got into multi-track there and started messing around with it went to university again discovered i had to pretty much put it all together myself and work it out and as we all know 
one person's idea of the correct studio setup and another person's are often very, very different. So the studio, the studio at university was in a permanent state of unusable flux. I, I guess I just, I, I learn, I learned on the job. I, I worked in the pop video industry for a couple of years. I then sold studio gear for a couple of years. Um, I now buy it. Um, <laughs> I, I then ran, I ran away to sea and did. I've done, I've done the 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 um, the triangle, the musical triangle, which is um, cruise ships, panto, and summer season. Um, decided I'd become a pro drummer more than a techie. Got the job at Sibelius and it relighted the the tech stuff, and the rest is say the rest is history. I suppose my, the nearest thing I've had to a mentor was doing mix with the masters and and meeting, you know, let's face it, a, a legend, Al Schmidt. I would probably probably say Al and Steve are probably two of my biggest influences on how I work. You know, I bought a console off the back of it. <laughs> It's not quite that cut and dry, but it's not far off. You know, seeing the way, seeing that way of working and just going, do you know what? I want to get back to doing that. That's interesting because having gone to Chad Blake, it drove me further into the box. Two, you yeah. Know, two but, very, very skilled and, and, and good uh, masters there with massively uh, diametrically opposed uh, yeah. methods of working. I, I think one of the reasons I did the Auschwitz course was because A, I love the stuff he's worked on sonically. Mm -hmm. And then finding out, you know, that's all done with players and, and mic technique and mic placement and getting everything right on the way in, which is exactly the way I, I'd like to try and work, you know, getting the right mic in the right place in front of the right player. That's my idea of recording. I'm not I'm not one of these people who piles plugins onto stuff afterwards. I want to get it right on the way in and then maybe just, you know, tweak the EQ or the compression or whatever. I want to get the right sound on the way in. If you watch the Al Schmidt Mix with the Masters videos, they are on the as far as a deconstructing a mix, they're some of the shortest videos because put the fade put the faders at unity yeah that's it pretty sounds much it. like his mix yeah pa panning and reverb is al's thing uh to get depth in a mix don't just put more reverb put the right reverb and that was one of the big things i think my big takeaway from um the week um down in la fabrique in south of france was you know reverb is your friend don't don't be don't fear having six or eight reverbs in your rig but use them appropriately use them to get depth and space not just to make something sound like it's dave in a cave well james it's great to have you on uh great to talk to you again uh i look forward to uh, our next meeting in person which uh, to the best of my knowledge will be in the summertime because you're coming to this side of the pond because i'm going to your side of the pond and uh would love to have a beer or a coffee and see your studio space. Yeah, man, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. James Ivey here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Great to have James on. Hey, before we go, just want to make sure and mention our sponsors who make the show possible. That's, of course, Gearslets.com, Lawton Audio, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, and Focal Monitors. So be sure and stop by and pay a visit to our friends over in those areas. And uh, that's it. We're out of time. So let's uh, thank everybody, of course. Got to thank Cliff Truesdell, Chuck Smith, and Cole Williams. And, of course, I want to thank you for stopping by and spending time here. Tell your friends, visit us on social media, especially on Facebook, and uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, 
working class audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 